Isaiah chapter 51. Uh, but if you're in 51, I just want you to glance with me over at chapter 50, verse 4, just for a second as we kind of get our bearings on the text, okay? So Isaiah chapter 50, look at verse 4 with me. Just to remember where we were last week in the text. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I might know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So we remember that this is Isaiah. This is Isaiah saying, in a sense, this is how the Lord God is communicating with him so as to bring about the scriptures that we find here. And what he's saying is that the Lord has given him the tongue of those who are taught. He is giving him the tongue or the mouth to speak as someone who who has been taught. But he understands that the things that the Lord is giving me to say, I have not actually been taught. The Lord is simply telling me these things. He's giving me the tongue as one who is taught, even though I am not yet taught. I am taught by the Lord. And here's how it comes out. So he's helping us to understand how it is that the word of God is coming to him and how it's being communicated. But what's interesting is that he says, as the Lord God is doing this and he's giving me the tongue of one who is taught, here's what's coming out. He knows then, Isaiah knows how to sustain with a word him who is weary. How? Because Isaiah was a wonderful speaker. Because Isaiah just knew the right thing to say in the right moment. He could captivate an audience, right? Is that the point of what's being said? Isaiah has already made it very clear that the only reason he can say anything at all is because the Lord God has given him his tongue as one who has taught. And so the things that are coming out are the Lord's words. So who really knows how to sustain us with a word? God himself knows how to sustain us with a word. Isn't that wonderful news? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you need to be sustained? You ever found yourself in a place where you are that weary one who needs to be sustained with a word and it seems as though all the words of life are falling short of being able to sustain you. I need something better than that. I need something better than what any self-help can, can do for me. I need something better than a distraction, right? I need a word that can sustain my very soul that has become weary. And there is only one who can do this. And it is God himself. Now, What I believe we're seeing here in chapter 51, all the way through chapter 52, verse 6. I know that's a lengthy text. But I believe what's being said here is that this is the word that God has given Isaiah to sustain the weary ones. Okay? So, in chapter 50, we are being prepared for what is about to be delivered in chapter 51. Isaiah said, the Lord is talking to me. He is giving me a tongue to speak. And here now in chapter 51 is what the Lord would say to you. Here is what he would say. Here is the word that God has given to sustain the weary ones. Are you eager to hear that word that God would give to sustain? Yes, I am as well. Now our text can be divided into six different Uh, portions this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and show that to you on the screen, okay? This is the way that it's written, and when you put it this way, if you can see it, I know it's a little small, if you can see it, you'll notice how this is divided in our text. These are not my words. These are the beginning words of each of these sections. So you can see it, can't you? Listen to me, give attention to me, give ear to me, listen to me. That's the first section. And then you have, awake, awake, wake yourself, wake yourself, awake, awake, 
That's the second section. Do you see how the two sections complement each other? And so we see then by noticing the structure of how it's written that it's all meant to go together. Do you see that with me as well? It's all meant to go together. And so it's a reiteration of some particular points, but then also every part of it is unique. And so when he says, listen to me in verses one through three, the content of that is actually different than the listen to me of verses seven through eight, okay? So it's not simply a reiteration of the same thing the whole time. God is giving us a word, and when it says word, it's much bigger than a single word. It is a concept, right? When I say I have a word for you this morning, you don't expect me to simply say a single individual word, do you? No. Uh, You expect me to say words, And so we understand what's meant by that, right? So the word that God has given to the weary is found here, yes, in the other scriptures as well, but in particular, in this particular situation, here is the word for the weary ones. And so we might just ask in this situation, in its historical context, who were the weary ones in need of sustaining? That is Israel. That is specifically the southern kingdom of Israel, right? They are located in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem... It's hard times because they have a big enemy who is about to come and kill and steal and lead them away as captives, complete and utter devastation the Lord has spoken on these people. And so when a word like this comes, is it comforting? Is this the word to sustain the weary when God says devastation upon devastation? Your enemies are going to overtake you. The wrath of God is upon you. Here is my rebuke. And you say, what a comforting word. Thank you, Lord. Is that the word of comfort to sustain the weary soul? But the soul has actually become weary because the word that God has spoken to them about devastation. Devastation is what leads us into a condition of being weary. And when we are found weary is when we need to be sustained, right? So they are in a situation where they need to be sustained. So what would God say to them? Let's look at it. Isaiah 51, beginning in verse 1. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, to your father, to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion, he comforts all her waste places. He makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of song. So in each of these, I have summarized what is being said here uh, with a simple sentence and then an illustration because that's what we're given. He says, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I have something to tell you. What do you have to tell us? that God gives joy to his people by turning their emptiness into plenty. Just look at what he did with Abraham and Sarah. That is what he just said. Look at it with me. Listen to me. All those who pursue righteousness, that is the Lord's, the Lord's. You who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you are hewn. That is, look where you came from. Look what I've done before. Look to your history. Look to Abraham, to your father, Sarah, who bore you. He was but... One, that is himself, right? He was but one. He was Abraham when I called him. And how many is he today? Right? And if you don't know the story, Abraham was old and he still didn't have any kids. And the Lord said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply you. Look at the stars. Count them if you can. That will be your offspring. Look at the sand on the seashore. 
Count the grains if you can. That will be you. But he was nothing. and It was just him. He and his wife had no children. And so God is saying, here is how I'm going to sustain your weary soul. In the moments of emptiness and desolation, nothingness, look at what I did. Do you see how he was but one and I brought him to be many? And so you, with the weary soul, feeling that emptiness and that void of nothing, understand that God can take this emptiness and turn it into plenty. And he's trying to give them comfort by saying this to them, right? Do you see it with me? I see a lot of blank stares. When God says, listen, he has something to say. What does he have to say? This barrenness that only you could understand and that's all you felt and it made your soul weary? Let me sustain you by telling you this. I took what was barren and empty in a wasteland and a desert before and I made it into what is a garden and is plenty. I did that. The Lord did that. And so let this comfort your soul in the midst of desolation. Is that a comfort to your soul in the midst of nothing? When all you have is stripped? When you feel a sense of law, emptiness, void, God can take that void and bring it to plenty. He can take a waste place and make it like a garden. That's what he did. Just look at what he did for Abraham and Sarah, right? Okay, so what would he say next? Look at verses four through six. He says, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out for me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples and the coastlands. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath, for the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Okay, so we heard the first thing he has to say to us, that God can take this seemingly empty situation and bring about plenty through it. That's great. That is consolation for my soul. But what would he say next? Next, he would say that God gives salvation to his people that will last forever. It will last forever. And then the illustration is just consider what God will do to the heavens and the earth. That's the illustration that's given in the text. So he says, look around. Look around at all you see, all you know, all you have ever experienced. And it seems like things are going to go on. You how they were, but listen, look at the earth and the nature of it and the heavens and the nature of it. I'm telling you, these things will not last. But there is something that will last. You think the earth is permanent and immovable and eternal? Wrong. You think the heavens and the stars and the sun and the moon, that they're eternal. They're going to last forever. Wrong. But there is something that is eternal. The salvation that God gives is eternal. That is what's eternal. Does that give comfort to your soul? That there is something that you can never lose because it is eternal. These are good words for a weary soul. You have something that can never be lost. So then verses 7 and 8, what, what does it say? So listen to me, we got that. Give attention to me. Listen to me. There's something else, verses 7 and 8. Listen to me. You who know righteousness. This is always God calling out to his people. Those who are his. Those who pursue righteousness, right? Those are who he's talking to. Because this is not for all people, is it? Is there a salvation that God gives that all have obtained that will never wear out? 
Is that true of all people? It's not. But it is true of the people of God, right? It is true of the people of God, so that's who he keeps calling to. Listen to me. Comfort your soul with this. You who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. That's a very particular people, isn't it? Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever my salvation to all generations. Now this is good, because God has just said, now that your soul is being comforted, here's how that might apply practically to how you live your life. That when others look at you as the people of God who have the law of God on their hearts, which is all those who have had faith in Christ and they have the spirit of God in them, right? And they're living for the glory of God. And then you look around and people are reviling you. They're hating you. He says, don't fear them. Don't fear them. They are not eternal. What they're doing to you is not eternal. You have a salvation and a righteousness from me that is eternal. And what I have given you will never be taken away. Never will it be taken away. Now for them, they will wear out. I told you all are going to die. They are going to wear out. But the righteousness that God gave you will never wear out. It lasts forever. So God's people should not fear the ungodly. So we have a whole other section here. We've looked at this first section, listen to me, give attention to me, listen to me, and I think we understand what God is saying to us and how he wants to comfort the weary souls of those people who are his, right? Did you hear it with me? And I think these are very, very good words for us to hear. Next, in verses 9 through 16, there's a call now to awake. Now, I've listened, I've listened, what do I do with that? Awake! But listen, it's very, it's very uh, peculiar in a sense what, he call, what, he's, what he's calling to awake. What or who is he calling to awake? Look at it, verse 9. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake. Uh, that's interesting. You ever considered, well, first of all, does God have arms? That's uh, interesting. Um, but what we're given are words that we can understand that we can apply the concept to, right? Um, so it's saying, okay, awake, O arm of the Lord. So he's calling, it's very important, he's calling to God for his strong arm to act. Why might the weary people of God call the strong arm of God to act? It's because they see a world in rebellion and they feel the pressure on their soul. And so who do they call into action to help them, to protect them, to give them comfort? The arm of God. So Isaiah is saying, yeah, I should say this. This part, the first section is going to be Isaiah speaking. And then what he does is he gives us the word from God. So probably your Bible might have a second section in quotations. So if you're looking at your text and some of it's in quotation marks, other parts of it's not in quotation marks, and you know, what, what's the deal with this? Why? I don't understand. Well, because part of it is Isaiah speaking to the people, not in quotation marks, still the word of God. But the second part of it is in quotation marks as a word he has received from the Lord to tell the people as God himself. Does that make sense? 
So that's why part of it's in quotation marks, others is not. Don't get confused by that. It's Isaiah speaking, and then Isaiah gives us the direct word from God, but it's all the word of God. Yeah, that's, that's clear, right? Clear, clear. All right, Isaiah. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying, Lord, oh, I probably should read the text. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old. Remember, God, when you would act in a mighty way for your people? Do that again. The generations of long ago, was it, was it not you who cut Rahab into pieces and who pierced the dragon? Pause right there. What is that? Were you thinking about Rahab, the Rahab you know, the woman? Don't think about her. That, that Rahab was not cut into pieces and God didn't, okay? That, that what dragon are we talking about? The Rahab, so uh, in, in other portions of, of scripture, Rahab is, is known as, uh, as Egypt, the word means arrogant or proud. And so when you name someone Rahab, it's the proud one. You took the proud land, Egypt, and you cut it up, right? And didn't God do that? Yeah. And the dragon here, lots of imagery. But the dragon and this whole idea of like a chaos monster being associated with waters is very true. And it was something that was in the uh, creative mind of an ancient people. And so monsters were associated with waters because waters were scary, right? And uh, so anyway, to say that God cut Rahab into pieces is that he cut Egypt into pieces and that he conquered the sea by splitting it apart, right? So this is going back to the Exodus event. Is that clear? Clear enough? Okay, so keep reading. Was it not you who dried up the sea and the waters and the great deep and made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? So he just explained what we just said. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, isn't that a good word for a sorrowful, weary people to hear? One day there's going to be joy and gladness and singing and rejoicing. Although right now your heart is weary and I understand. One day there will be such joy springing up from inside of you that you can't even contain it. Do you know that kind of joy? Do you know that kind of rejoicing? But yet, do the pains and pressures of the world sometime diminish that so what you feel is weary? Do you know that feeling too? You know there is a joy to come. God is promising us that joy. So Isaiah's words are, Lord, stretch out your hand and give us help. That's what Isaiah is saying. Awake, arm of the Lord. Come and do what you did to those people of old. Do that for us. Would you please deliver us? And so here's what God says. In that next, uh, just picking up in the text. This is God. I, I am he who comforts you. That's good news. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies? The son of man who is made like grass and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die, shall not go to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth, covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens, laying the foundations of the earth, and saying to Zion, you are my people. So what is God's response 
to Isaiah saying, awake, awake, arm of the Lord, and stretch out and give us hope and redeem us and give us this joy. What does God say? My hand is stretched out over my people. It's there. I'm here. That leads us to an interesting application. We all know what it is to feel as though the hand of God is not near to you, don't we? God's hand is always stretched out over his people. He has covered us in the shadow of his hand. I know many of you have chickens. I have chickens too. Chickens are a thing. If you don't have chickens, it's the popular thing to do. Get some chickens. An interesting thing about chickens, if you hatch your own chickens, uh, is that you'll notice, and other birds do this as well, but what you'll notice is that the little baby chicks, where do they go for shelter and protection? Under the wing of the mama. And so when you're hid under the shadow of something, you are there even if you feel afraid. My hand is stretched out. My shadow, the shadow of my hand is covering you. But I understand that you might not feel it right now. But I want to speak comfort to you knowing that you're protected. That's a good word for us. It's a good word for the weary soul to know our rightful place and that God is stretching out his hand over us. It's a call for the people of God to not forget the presence of God in the midst of emptiness, sufferings, hard times. There's a text in John chapter 10 that I just wanted to read for you. This is John 10, 27 through 30. And uh, just listen to what it says. It's a text you know, but just listen to it in this context. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them. Where? Out of his hand, my father has, has given them to me, and he is greater than all. And there is no one who can snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. If you are held in the comfort of the mighty, strong hand of God, then why do we need to fear? And isn't this exactly what Isaiah just said? Don't fear the one who reviles against you. Don't fear the oppressor, whoever that is. The hand of God has you. No one can overtake him. Look at verse 17. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Now who's it talking to? So before he said, awake, 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 who? Awake, awake, the arm of the Lord. Now he's calling and saying, wake yourself, wake yourself, who? Who needs to wake up this time? Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk from the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? So listen to the things that have come upon the people of God. He said two. He's about to name four, but just understand that it's, it's two things, synonyms, so that we might understand. Devastation and destruction, that's one thing. That's not good. Next thing that happened to them is famine and sword. Again, 
Not good. All these things have come upon the people of God. And the question is, who's going to console you through the midst of these times? Who's going to give you comfort when you have absolutely nothing? It might be difficult for some of us to understand absolute desolation because we've never known it. Have you ever known absolute desolation? In the midst of a people who are being devastated and destroyed all around you, there is famine and there is war, and that's all you know. You have nothing, everything stripped from you. I don't know that that's true of anyone in the room. We've lived our lives for the most part, though we have ups and downs like a roller coaster through life. We have known plenty for the most part. My family didn't have much when I was growing up, but you know what? We still had TV. That says something, right? That was the most of my concerns as a child. Just please don't let anything happen to the TV. And if that's my concern, I'm living a life of plenty, right? Whatever my life looked like, it was still a life of plenty. I didn't know devastation and destruction and famine. And so maybe it's, it's more difficult for us to hear this, the, the, the great truth of what's being said, because God is saying in the midst of all these, the worst case scenario, here I am. Who are you looking to console you? Don't look in other places, look to me. You are in the shadow of my hand. I have you, you are mine. I am the one who will comfort you. And did the people at this time listen? No. They didn't. Why? Hopefully you know the answer to this. They were blind and they were deaf. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. The Lord. Now they could see and hear, most of them. But they couldn't see God and they couldn't hear His Word. But here we are. Do we hear it? The reason that they were suffering was why? Because God gave them a cup of staggering. You know what this means. Give someone a cup of, the picture here is give someone a cup of strong alcohol, give them a few. And wait till they stagger. Wait till they can't even hold themselves up or know which way is up or down. And that is spiritually the condition of the people. They don't know which way is up. They don't know which way is down. They can't even stand on their own two feet. That's the condition of the people spiritually. And so God is saying, I gave them this cup of staggering, and my wrath has now come upon them. So it says, therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. Oh, that's good news. That cup of staggering that he gave them to drink, he is now removing from their hand so that they drink it no more. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. I will put it to the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we might pass over you. You have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. What an image that you have the people of God laying down on the ground with their enemies walking over top of them. And he says, the Lord is saying, I am the one who has brought all of this and you have drank the wrath of God. 
God's wrath, affliction, and rebuke are all around. But here's what's being said. People stand up in the comfort of God. God is saying, I always plead the cause of my people, but it doesn't seem like it. You understand what I'm saying? You understand what the text is saying? That's what I mean. What it's saying is, God has called us his people by faith in Christ. We are his. And he's saying, I'm comforting you. I'm protecting you. You are mine. But then we look around at the life around us, devastation, destruction, famine, disaster, whatever that is for you in your life, and you're saying, so you say this, but where are you? You say that I am yours, but what's going on? The Lord wants us to know, and as he's telling his people here, I always plead the cause of my people. Did you see that in the text? God always pleads the cause of his people. The Lord says, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people. That is our God. He's pleading our cause. He has not left us. He is pleading our cause. Do you know that the cup of staggering serves God's sovereign purposes? The cup of staggering that he gave that made the people stumble was God to blame for any of their failures, any of their sins. Did God cause them to sin? Answer, no. But did God give them the cup of staggering that they might stumble and fall? Yes, that's what the text just said. And Isaiah says that on repeat, right? So is God to blame? No. Listen to Psalm 60, verse 3. That's a good reference. You're writing down some cross-references. Psalm 60, verse 3 is a very good reference here. Listen to what it says. You have made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink to make us stagger. Did you hear that? Why would God ever do that? That's a good question, actually, isn't it? Why would God do that? Why would God cause a staggering? You understand what this means, right? That the people are in a situation where they are not seeking after the Lord. And why is that? Because God gave them a cup of staggering that they might drink it. Why would God do that? Why could that happen? Because it's very clear that that is what's happening. I, I want to just, uh, I'm going to give you this quick reference. I wanted to spend some time here, but if I'm not careful, I would turn this next reference into an entire sermon all on its own. I'm not going to do that, but I at least do want to read a portion of this for you um, because we know the story well. You know the story of Job, Right? We all know the story of Job. I want you to consider just the big events of that story. Are you thinking of it? You're thinking of how Job was upright in his heart and yet all these things of devastation happened to him all around him? Why? I mean, we ask, why would the Lord ever do that? The Lord would never allow that. Or would he? The Lord would never cause that. Or would he? And why? What, what purpose could he have in all these things? Uh, I'll, I'll just read for you a few verses here. This is Job 33 is the reference, Job 33. And I want, you to, just, I want to just give you an idea of what God is, is doing here. It says, beginning in verse 12, Behold, in this you are not right, I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying, He will answer none of man's words? This is Elihu. Remember Job had three friends and they didn't give him very good advice? Job, oh, this is 
you know, why I didn't draw this connection, I don't know. Job is a man in the midst of suffering, right? And he's looking for a word to sustain him, right? Does he get one from his three friends? No. He gets frustrated with them and keeps trying to tell them how wrong they are, right? Isn't that what happens there? But then there's someone younger standing in the back, listening to all of this, and his name is Elihu. And at the end, he says, listen, listen, listen. Let me, I got, I got to speak up here. I'm not hearing much that sounds right. So let me tell you the truth of the matter. So that's what he says. Listen, Job, you're not right saying that God's not answering you. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about how God works here in the midst of suffering. So he says, God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when he falls asleep, while they slumber on their beds, he opens the ears and terrifies them with warnings that he might turn aside from his deed, conceal pride. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. That's one way. But listen to this other way that God speaks. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones <clears throat> so that his life loathes bread and his appetite of the choicest food. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen. His bones are so that they stick out. His soul draws near to the pit and his life to those who bring death. That's not a good picture. But who did that? That's a way that God is speaking to man. God is speaking to man by causing these things to happen in his life. That he might wake up, awake, and listen. And sometimes this is what it takes. And God uses these things. And this is exactly what Elihu is saying. It says, um, continuing on here, he is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh become fresh with youth. Let him return to the days of his youthful vigor. Then man prays to God and he accepts him and his face sees him with a shout of joy and he restores his righteousness. And he sings. So the picture of what happened there is there's someone who suffers. They understand that their suffering came from the hand of God because where else would it come from? And then he understands that God was gracious to him by allowing him these things because then God restores his soul once man prays to God. So where does your weariness take you? It should take you to your knees and to prayer. It should take you to seeking the face of God and that is the Lord's intention, that you might be stripped and have nothing so that you must rely upon him. But as I said, we are a people who have much. But there are situations that come our way that make us feel as though everything has been taken and we have nowhere else to go. You need to flee to the Lord. It is what he intends. The whole story is good. Read the book of Job. That's your homework. You've read it probably many times. Read it again. See how God is working through his sovereign purposes, through what we might not otherwise think. God... God surely is not in that. Where is he? Right? I just want you to think of it in those terms. Okay, let's, let's look at just the last bit of our text for this morning. So the last call to awake, awake. And what does, God, what, what does God call us to do? What is Isaiah saying? Awake, awake, put on strength. Who this time? 
O Zion, put on your beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised, the unclean. Shake from yourself the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing. You were redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there. The Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. The rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Here I am. I think it's a beautiful picture that has just been painted for us in a lot of words, all to lead us to one conclusion. He's right there. Do you see him? God says, here I am. I'm, I'm here. But the people of the time, remember, were blind and deaf, as Isaiah 6 tells us, that the word was going to come, but they weren't going to hear it. Put on the best thing you have because the day, today's the best day of your life. That's how you ought to dress for eternity. Put on strength, your beautiful garments, the holy city. There shall no more come unto you uncircumcised, unclean. So shake from yourself all this dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck. Do you see a day in the future when all these issues go away? And then he says, from the word of God, all my people will hear me and know me. Down here at the end, he's talking about the strugglings of the people, that they were sold, that there were oppressors, the Assyrians, they were taken captive. But then at the end it says, but my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. I want to end by bringing some New Testament context for you. So I have a couple of passages, and I have them on the screen. And I'd, I'd really like for you to, if, if, even if you're not much of a note taker or something, you know, notes are good. They help us to recall information. So if you can, I'd really like for you to just make a reference of these four passages that I'm about to give you because they're so incredibly helpful in applying the truths that we've just discussed together from this text. The first is this. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and it says, for now, for now, that's, that's when we live, right? We live in the now, but for now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then one day, one day, face to face. Now I know in part, but then one day I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What this is pointing toward generally, but they're understood a little bit more clearly through the gospel. So we know that when he uh, appears, we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. Isaiah has said, my people will see me and they will know that it is I who speak to them. There is a day coming when we will meet our God. So the next thing, Romans 8, 18. I consider then the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This is an incredible truth that we see being com coming straight from our text today that there is a day coming when all will fade away. The earth will be made new, new heavens and new earth. That day is, that day is certainly coming. That is, that is the final 
result. And our eyes should be pointed there. Our eyes should be pointed toward the final result because if they are, then what of the stuff that happens in the here and now? Of what account is this in light of all eternity? When I know that I have salvation forever and there will be joy, rejoicing, comfort for all eternity, then of what is this? We don't even know how many days we have left to live, do we? So what are we going to do with our days? Think about all the stuff that's wrong, all the people who are against you, the issues that we have. Now, it's very easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? Yes. But is that where our thoughts should be? Our thoughts should be on the things that God has promised. That is what's going to comfort your soul in the midst of this life. Right now is different than what will be. Right? Is it, right now is different than what will be, and what will be has been promised to all those who are in Christ. So we keep our focus set on eternity. A final one here. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. That's a, that's a wonderful passage. A wonderful truth from Paul. Paul's life, though, you might say, well, Paul, though, had a pampered life. Nothing bad ever happened to Paul, so he can say that. But unless you don't know... But my soul is not. My soul shall be with my God for eternity and I will see him and I will know that it is he who has been speaking to me and I will rejoice and I will sing. Let's pray.